Good morning. morning. All right, this thing's working. It is good to be with you this morning. Turn with me with your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, this is not a typical first time at a church text to preach, as you will see shortly. But my, uh, perhaps my cop-out is that um, as I've been preparing for um, presbytery and going through that process in our, our local presbytery, this was actually assigned to me. Um, and so I think the Lord has a purpose in, uh, in maybe testing my, uh, my conviction that uh, all Scripture is profitable, and uh, I'd perhaps rather have a little more life experience under my belt before preaching a text like this. But uh, it's the Word of God that does the work of God. So read with me. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Pray with me. Father, we come to you again this morning. I ask for your help to preach. We ask for your help to hear your voice in your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you seek to teach us about all of life. You don't give us a few general principles and let us Run off with them, but you give us instructions for all of life so that we're not in the dark, but we, have, we can see clearly how you would have us to live and to live for your glory. We thank you that in Jesus Christ we have reconciliation with you and we, we can please you with our living. Let your spirit dwell in us richly that we can do these things in your word and that uh, our hearts will have a testimony from your Spirit that we are your sons and daughters. And having that testimony, we would have joy, assurance of your love, peace for our consciences, increase of grace, and that we would persevere. So we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> a few years ago, I was taking a seminary course in Washington, D.C., and was in there with maybe 30 other students men and women, and uh, the professor took a significant amount of time to have each student go around and introduce themselves to everybody, and uh, a question he asked was how we came to know the Lord, and so I had the privilege of hearing many different uh, people's stories. It's, it's a question I love to ask uh, today, and I've been um, hearing many of your stories over the last few months, and I'm, I'm thankful for, for God's testimonies uh, of his faithfulness in your life. 
And as I got to hear these different stories uh, from students in the class, a few of the men uh, often started their, their story with this phrase. Well, there was this girl. And, you know, the first time, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right, okay. And then, you know, a few people, a few people later, another person said, well, there was, there was this girl. And it happened several times just in that small group of people. And the professor who had several decades of uh, experience in ministry, being a pastor and uh, teaching and uh, many, knowing many students, uh, he, he just chuckled and he said, the Lord uses a variety of means, but he often uses... He often uses very natural things like uh, a boy's affection for a girl to maybe draw him to himself. And so we hear of ordinary means, uh, but these ordinary means like prayer, reading the Bible, uh, perhaps having a crush and then wanting to go to a certain church's youth group, these ordinary means lead to an extraordinary end. And that extraordinary end is the worship of the living God. So when it comes to the hearts of men and women, God is not focused on one heart at a time, but He has in view from eternity past the love that He has set on His elect people. And as He is drawing His elect to Himself, He seems to be working slowly. He seems to be working one heart at a time. But as He's working one heart at a time, He's actually using hearts that He's drawing to Himself to draw other hearts to Himself. And I think Peter is teaching us some of that in this text this morning. So God ordains the means as well as the end. The end is to have His elect worshiping Him for all eternity. The means might just be something as ordinary as how you live your life. So as we will dig into this text, I want to provide us with a little bit of uh, context. You know, we're jumping into chapter 3. We're jumping into the middle of this letter from Peter. And I want to lay out an outline for how we're going to work through this text by, uh, as you have it in your handouts, uh, patience, posture, and prayer. But I also want to have uh, you understanding why Peter is getting to this point uh, in his letter. You've heard many times there are are many letters in the New Testament. Paul wrote about 13, and then we have uh, two from Peter and three from John and a few others. So the New Testament's full of letters because, so I was just talking about ordinary means, God used very ordinary means to get his word to travel around the world. He used letters. And in these letters, they're very similar to our letters today. We might say, dear so-and-so, and end with sincerely myself. And uh, for them, they started out with the author first and then introduced their audience and then got into their, their content. So Peter is writing this, and it's just a letter. And a letter has a purpose. He's got a reason for it. He's not just writing something because he wants to, but as he is reaching the end of his life, the end of his ministry, perhaps close to 30 or more years since the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, he knows that his earthly ministry uh, of his own is coming to an end. And so Peter has instructions to the church. If you look at verses, uh, uh, look at chapter 1, look at the first two verses, Peter is writing to all the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's most of the Eastern, European, uh, Eastern Mediterranean Sea. He's writing this to many, many churches. These are just 
Those are just regions, and within those regions, there's going to be churches. So he has a large audience in mind. This gives us confidence that he actually has us in mind. As he's writing to that specific audience, he's writing to the church broadly. Um, it's not the letter to the Ephesians. It's the letter to the dispersion, all the elect exiles. And so this is a word for these uh, believers in their first century context, but it's a word for us in our 21st century context. And Peter's main point is to encourage believers to persevere. And he does that by warning them about false teachers and by reminding them to live in Christ's likeness. So everything else in the letter is actually just details pertaining to those things. What do false teachers look like? Peter explains. How do you persevere? Peter encourages. What is Christ-likeness? Peter teaches. How do I live as a Christian master, as a Christian slave, as a Christian employer, as a Christian employee? Peter illustrates. In chapter 3, Peter turns his attention to the simple question, how do I live as a Christian wife? How do I live as a husband? So first he addresses the wives. He, I think what we can see here in these first six verses is that he is addressing Christian wives to exercise patience, which I know is exactly what you wanted to hear. Patience is a virtue, and a virtue won't hurt you. Or at least that's what my dad said. <clears throat> Who are these Christian wives? And why do they get six verses and men only get one? Well, there's some theories behind uh, attention spans and such, but I don't know if that's Peter's point. <clears throat> but he addresses them in, in this first century context. It's probably the 60s uh, AD. And in the early years of the church, it still might be somewhat true today, but it, definitely in the early years of the church, uh, the church was full of women. Up to two-thirds of the congregations that Peter was probably writing to were women. Uh, women were more apt to listen to the word and to come and to respond. We hear of women like Lydia and um, uh, Priscilla and um, Phoebe. There's a, a whole number of women that Paul mentions uh, that we see. And the, the women who followed Jesus, Susanna and Joanna and various Marys. So it's no surprise. The Bible, I think, testifies to this, but even researchers who've gone looking at other uh, records of of the Roman Empire have, have made these observations. The church has many women in it, as the, um, as the men seem to not is, as much respond to the word and to come. But why is that? Uh, maybe it's just obvious. But actually, in the first century, there was uh, there's a whole Greco-Roman culture that actually kind of explains uh, why, women, why women were more likely to come to the feet of Jesus and why men were less likely Part of that is a sexual double standard. Uh, men were socially, culturally quite free to do what they felt was necessary sexually. Uh, they had urges that they were f somewhat free to indulge in uh, as long as they didn't do anything shameful. Women were expected to be chaste and then to marry their husbands and then be devoted to their husbands. So as there are two different sexual standards, uh, it was obviously very frustrating, discouraging, and uh, evil. So there's a radical anti-Christian sexual ethic. Now, they didn't think of themselves as very anti-Christian. They were pagans. 
But what, is the, what do the apostles do as they go from city to city and they preach to people? They lay out what Christ taught. They lay out what Scripture teaches. And uh, that is clearly laid out as a husband being devoted to his wife and a wife devoted to her husband. This was uh, just even on a practical sexual ethic sense, very attractive. And then you also hear of um, things like uh, women being um, daughters of the living God and having the inheritance that sons have. And as you unpack what the gospel means, uh, it's, it's something that's obviously good news for men, but it's uh, in a culture that was uh, having double standards and maybe having second-class citizens, uh, it was a great uh, message uh, for the women of that time. And so the churches were quite full of women. So as Peter addresses the women here, he's, he knows that that's a large part of his audience, and he wants to provide good, helpful instruction. <clears throat> and so as he speaks to them, though, he's also recognizing that they're in challenging circumstances. As the churches are uh, more full of women, he's also aware of the fact that uh, the churches have many women who are married to unbelieving husbands, who are not obedient to the Word, as the text says. Um, they've apparently ag- agreed to live with their wives and uh, not to abandon them because they've begun following Christ. But they, um, they're faced with the challenging circumstances of seeking to follow Christ as uh, they um, submit to their husbands and having uh, tension and conflict from that. And so as these husbands are not obedient to the Word, in verse 1, um, Peter has, uh, has some instructions. And so he's saying um, that even though the, the husbands have their lives marked by a lack of obedience, he's encouraging uh, these wives to play the long game, to think with patience. Uh, not worrying about today or this week, uh, but whatever time the Lord is giving, Um, the Lord himself is being patient with all who are far off. And so he's encouraging uh, his daughters to be patient with uh, this one person um, who they are to live with. And so there's a temptation towards a quicker fix. Um, You know, perhaps what the husband needs uh, to be godly and sincere in his uh, conduct, but uh, there's, there's a caveat. Peter is not saying uh, that to just be silent, to go along with anything. Um, he's, he's saying something that goes along with Paul's advice. If your husband will live with you and he does not oppose you living as a Christian, then give thanks to God for that and you have uh, the best position in his life to be a witness. Uh, as the Lord has grabbed your heart, uh, you have the best position uh, to perhaps be the heart that he is going to use to grab someone else's heart. And so, um, if we think about being a citizen, um, <clears throat> you know, as Peter's speaking to these wives who have husbands who are not Christians, uh, we think of maybe it's similar to being a citizen. Um, okay, the government might tolerate your religion. But we'd want perhaps the whole government to embrace that religion and promote it. Uh, but that's not always, uh, it's rarely the case. And so, as, we, uh, as the instructions are from Paul in Romans 13, to uh, submit to the governing authorities and to give thanks for toleration, we give thanks and we pray and we do ministry uh, and um, we endure persecution 
and violent opposition. We are thankful that uh, generally the experience when there's toleration is that persecution and violent opposition is um, more lacking. And so Peter is uh, encouraging them to say, you have an opportunity to give thanks and to pray and to do ministry. Because he's reminding us also of something that Paul uh, wrote in um, 1 Corinthians 11, as uh, God has ordered um, lives, as He's ordered His world, as He's ordered relationships. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that the head of Christ is God, the head of the church is Christ, and the head of the wife is the husband. And so this is the idea of how does one relate to authority? And so if you are the authority, then lead. And if you're not the authority, then the call is to submit. But what else in this text indicates patience? Well, there's a focus on things that take time. Conduct. Talking about a reputation. What is your reputation? Uh, A good reputation is so hard to build and so easy to lose. So the language focuses on conduct, priorities, on your spirit, on what God sees. He sees everything. Man often looks at the outward thing, but God looks at the heart. As you remember Samuel, when he was tasked with God, by God to find a king to replace Saul, Saul had fit every physical description of what you're looking for in a king. He was head and shoulders above every man in Israel. And when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and the sons of Jesse pass by in front of him, and he looks at him, and he sees the oldest and the second oldest, and he's like, yeah, that looks like a king. Surely that's the king. And the Lord says, nope, not that one. You're looking at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart, and then there's David, who wasn't even there. God had a shepherd that he intended to be the king over his people Israel. And so even for the prophet Samuel, there was a lesson to be learned about what God sees. And so the emphasis is on patience, on things that take time, on um, on conduct, because the goal is uh, that extraordinary end to add worshipers to the throng uh, that is around the throne of the Lamb. And so he says, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Uh, In that seminary class, I was talking about how many of these men uh, could testify that it was my wife who led me to Christ. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a gift uh, to give thanks for in terms of testimony, but it's a fulfillment of what Peter is saying here in chapter 3. And so, uh, you who are as a believer in Christ will be able to speak more powerfully uh, by your conduct than by the words you actually say. The actions will speak louder than the words. So it's often something that we run into as uh, young people are graduating from college and perhaps eager to do great things. The phrase might be thrown out there, do you want to change the world? Well, I've, I've, I, was, I was like that when I was coming out of college, a bit eager and uh, with gusto, do you, do you want to change the world? But somebody challenged me to think about maybe changing a diaper first. <clears throat> And so do you simply want to change the world or just see one person changed? So, and having a conduct that is a, a testimony to itself of the Lord's work, uh, first try changing yourself. 
So Peter moves into other things that are also take time. Adorning yourself with the imperishable beauty of the hidden heart. God sees it, and it is very precious in His sight. I don't think there are very many things in Scripture where the Lord says, that is very precious to me. Uh, I think He says it of the little children, let the little children come unto me. Uh, for such to them belongs the kingdom of God. But he, when he looks out at his uh, daughters seeking to live faithfully as Christians and adorning themselves with the imperishable beauty of the hidden heart, he says that is very precious. So be encouraged to know that the Lord sees it. Uh, and as we're encouraged to fear the Lord and not to fear man, we can also be encouraged to know that uh, there's something you can do to please the, please the Lord, even if uh, pleasing man can seem uh, a great temptation or it can seem impossible. <clears throat> it may take time for people to notice, but patient, faithful conduct, according to God's Word, is going to get more mileage in witnessing than anything else. Patience, it might sound almost painful to think about doing nothing, but when would you rather try to do almost anything else, uh, to see the one you love coming to saving faith. But we are praying, but what we are praying for is the work of the Spirit. And as uh, John writes in John 3, the wind blows where it may. No one knows where it come from, comes from or where it goes. So it is with the Spirit. God has His own timing. But one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. So thankfully, there is hope to grow in this fruit of the Spirit. So we think about patience, we also want to think about posture. Peter has uh, a few things to say about how um, Christian wives are to posture themselves. So he has something he says you need to do, and something that he says you need to not do. First, you need to adorn yourself. Not with braided hair, jewelry, or clothing. And this isn't to say you cannot braid your hair, or you cannot wear jewelry, or wear fine clothing, but it's just to say, what are your priorities? So the point is not about what you cannot do. Uh, don't want let someone say uh, what you can or cannot do, according to 1 Peter 3. What Peter is doing is he is illustrating a point. He is, he's playing with these words. He said, if you're going to adorn yourself, which you are going to adorn yourself, adorn yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit. Adorn yourself with something that is beautiful in the sight of God. How encouraging it is to know that the Lord, uh, He sees these things, and He is uh, patiently um, encouraging you with these words, that the Heavenly Father is delighting in His daughters in something, what is, in something that is hidden, that man does not see, so even though it might take time and it might be discouraging, <clears throat> The Lord, is, uh, the Lord is wanting you to hear this, to be encouraged, to persevere. So you can, see here, you can see some of Peter's theme in this letter of perseverance. How do we prepare to be a happy and holy people? We persevere. And how do we persevere? By uh, doing these things which would please the Lord. <clears throat> if we want to think about what this might look like and what it might not look like, we also want to maybe take the words play with them a little bit, and look at how they might be opposite. What would be the opposite of the imperishable beauty of the hidden heart? It would be the perishable appearance of the visible outward body. Clothes will waste away, 
Uh, hair may uh, fade, and jewelry like gold may rust, and all of these outward things, they are perishable. But uh, just as Paul was seeking the imperishable crown uh, of, of, glory, of righteousness that was laid up for those who persevere, as he says in 2 Timothy 4, so the Lord is reminding us of something that is imperishable, and it is uh, the gentle and quiet spirit um, of the hidden heart. You also might be stuck up on these words, gentle and quiet spirit. What does that mean? Well, um, it's not talking about your mouth. It's not talking about your voice or how loud you are. It's, it's your spirit, a gentle and quiet spirit. It's a, it's a demeanor. It's a posture. It's a way of being. It's your conduct. But as you think about those words, where have you heard gentle and quiet before? What do you think of? Maybe you feel guilty for being too loud or a little rough around the edges. Or you chafe under such a command. But where have you heard words like gentle and quiet before? Well, in Matthew 11, Christ says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. They're not the same words, but I think they're close enough. Gentle and quiet spirit is really nothing less than the spirit of Christ himself. So this isn't uh, too challenging, but maybe it's very challenging. Peter is calling Christian wives to nothing less than Christ-likeness. A gentle and quiet spirit, a spirit of Christ-likeness. Challenging, yet liberating. There's no performance. There's merely the exhortation to be who you are in Christ. Praise God that He calls us to something glorious and not tedious. There's not just something you need to do, but there's also something you need to not do. If you look at verse 6, towards the end there, it says, If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I was a bit confused looking at this verse, and I'm confused when I read it because I'm not sure what this has to do with the rest of it. You get to the end of the paragraph, and he's talking about uh, submission. He's talking about your conduct. He's talking about how you adorn yourself. He's talking about what God's. He's talking about all these things, and it's like, but where does fear come into play with that? So, I I express confusion. But upon further review, I believe this actually does make sense. Side note, uh, when something is confusing in Scripture, um, I've been myself learning to think it's probably a problem with me and not with the Scripture, as God's Word is, is clear about what it needs to be clear, and thankfully He's patient with us and gives us understanding in due time. So do not be discouraged when you are sometimes confused by a passage, but be encouraged. If you're really working to understand God's Word, then you are giving yourself more opportunities to be challenged by it. So keep it up. But I think this verse makes sense because of what Peter's been saying. He's saying something like, submit to your husbands, even if they do not obey the word. Wait, time out, Peter. That sounds scary, <clears throat> in which Peter replies, it is, and that's part of my point. Adorn yourself with a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Peter's already anticipating the idea that this is scary. Your heavenly Father speaks as he spoke to his servant Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Only be strong and courageous. 
Do not fear anything that is frightening. The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, The Lord your God is with you. And Jesus said the same thing to his disciples. I am with you to the ends of the earth. So he calls you here to the same thing as daughters of Sarah. And so your heavenly Father is not waiting for you to come with your report, with a nice clean report card that shows what you have done and you've gotten all your A's. He is waiting to hear how your day went. Do you think about him watching over you in love? So as we've seen Peter's instructions for Christian wives, in verse 7, he turns his attention now to the husbands. So ladies, you can relax and tune out. There's nothing here that applies to you at all. It's actually not true. I think husbands have things to learn from verses 1 through 6, and wives have some things to learn through verse 7. <clears throat> so I want to draw your attention to four, um, four things in verse 7. One command, what you need to do, one response, how you need to go about it, one reason why you need to do this, and one purpose, to what end. So one command. The command in verse 7 is to live in an understanding way. Oscar Wilde said, women are to be loved, not to be understood. I don't think he read 1 Peter 3. <clears throat> this command harkens back to the earliest description of marriage, to live in an understanding way. It uh, harkens back to Genesis 4 when it says that Adam knew Eve, and that was talking primarily about procreation as they were having Cain and Abel. But it's also informative about what marriage is about. It's about knowing your spouse and having a knowledge that leads to two becoming one. And so the book of Genesis is all about beginnings, and we would do well to hear what it says about marriage. Creation brings norms. So Peter is reminding husbands of one of the oldest statements about marriage. You need to know your wife. <clears throat> what is she like? What are her fears? What are her hopes? Her favorite things, pet peeves, the buttons you want to push? Questions she appreciates being asked, memories, needs, wishes. What are her gifts, her strengths? On and on. You need to know your wife to live in an understanding way. <clears throat> in Paul David Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he helpfully outlines uh, how God uses relationships and what we're to do in them. The outline of love, know, speak, do. So before somebody can let you know them or... Um, before you really can get to know them, you need to love them. So love precedes all of these things. But love and knowledge work in a virtuous cycle. Growing in love should mean growing and knowing, and knowing more should lead us to loving more. <clears throat> There's a, um, an older man I heard once uh, talking about uh, things that he's learned in his marriage, and he's happy to go about his day and do the things that he's responsible for do his work, talk to people, have a good day, come home, talk to his wife. She asked him how his day went, and he said, it was good. She's like, what did you do? I don't remember. I just did the things, all the things I did today. He doesn't, he honestly is just one of those guys who just doesn't really remember what he did. He just, he did what he needed to do on his to-do list and then kind of forgot about him, much to his wife's irritation. She was eager to sit down, have him talk about his day, talk to her about her day, and uh, for them to know each other. And so what he learned to do over years of marriage is uh, keep a little notebook of the things that he was doing throughout the day, who he talked to, something funny he might have heard, 
something new he might have learned, um, and to accumulate those things so that uh, when he came home, he could sit down and actually have a conversation with his wife as an act of love towards her to remember those things. So he tries to remember the things about his day, not for his own sake, but for his wife's sake. He's seeking to know his wife and to live with her in an understanding way. Uh, One husband uh, needs to see that to live in an understanding way with his wife is not necessarily the same as what another husband needs to do. But you are the shepherd of your home, and a shepherd must know his sheep. Thankfully, there is more grace for the husband who is trying than not trying. The command is to know your wife. Thankfully, grace precedes command. The Lord gives the grace for us to actually do the things which he commands. And so, as Peter's already said, a believer who is in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, chapter 1, he's saying as a believer who uh, is already filled with the Holy Spirit and has fellowship in the Holy Spirit, you're already participating in the divine nature. So now, here is how you can live as God would have you to live. So that's the command. Live in an understanding way. Now the response. Verse 7, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. How should you begin to respond to the command of knowing your wife? By honoring her. Honor, honoring and knowing go together. People feel honored when they feel known. I have been, I felt quite honored when somebody I looked up to took the time to turn to me, shake my hand, and address me by name. And now for a few of you, I'm, I'm working on the names and I am uh, apologizing in advance as I am uh, trying not to dishonor you as I seek to remember your names. <clears throat> so I ask for your grace in that. But as we uh, honor someone, we want to know them. <clears throat> and so the idea of honoring is also tied to this language of the weaker vessel. And this word vessel is talking about things like a pitcher, that you, a vessel, like a drinking vessel that you would fill with a liquid and then pour it out, uh, such as a pitcher full of water or wine. So maybe it might be helpful to think about how um, um, men and women are, are different cups. Um, so they are ontologically the same. They're both cups, but they're different kinds of cups. There's equal dignity, equal worth, they're equally loved. However, um, <clears throat> they are still distinct. Men and women are ontologically equal in worth and dignity before God as image bearers, but biologically distinct. And because God has made us this way, and he saw to it that he made us this way on the sixth day, and he, when he saw that, he said it was very good. So Paul speaks of vessels for honorable use and vessels for dishonorable use when he talks about uh, election and predestination in uh, Romans 9. But with, uh, with Peter here, talking about these weaker and perhaps stronger vessels, you might think of a steel Yeti mug. It's, you're not really trying to treat it gently. You can run it over with your truck. You can drop it. It's, it's, made, to be, it's made to take a beating. With a weaker vessel, you might think of a ceramic mug. It's maybe your favorite mug. You put it somewhere... Um, put it in a, in a cabinet to keep it nice, you use it for certain occasions, and it, you're trying to not break it, you treat it delicately, you, you say that's, it's something that's honorable. <clears throat> and so the two items, though they're both cups, they're not handled in the same way, and so God has given different responsibilities in how we relate to each other. He's made us different intentionally. He did not make us the same and say, 
okay, figure out how to live as equals. He, said, he made us different and said, learn how to complement one another. Learn to show honor. So honoring is how you can begin fulfilling the command to live in an understanding way. The third thing I want to draw your attention to in verse 7 is <clears throat> one reason. Why should you honor? Why should you live in an understanding way? And this smacks greatly against the culture of uh, that first century. One reason to honor your wife. She is a co-heir to the grace of life. So your relationship is not of that of a superior and an inferior. It is one of complementary co-heirs. Same God, same Lord, same Spirit, same grace. So it is written, in heaven there is no male or female, but all are one. And there is a beauty in diversity, and we are made different and have different roles. But there is also so much that is the same. Some of us uh, maybe need a little more grace than the next person, but we have all received the same grace. And Jesus Christ is the God of one grace. From His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So how do you see your wife? How do you see her? Do you see her? as an heir to the grace of life with you. <clears throat> and lastly, one purpose. There's one purpose uh, that these are working towards. The Bible is not above giving us a concrete reason for seeking obedience. The fifth commandment says, Honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Jesus talked about hell quite often as a motivation for believing in him and for sanctification. And Peter here talks about prayer and doing these things of honoring your wife and uh, treating her as a co-heir of grace. He talks about prayer, and he says, your prayer, based on how you treat your wife, may not be heard. So if you do not under seek to un live with her in an understanding way, if you do not seek to honor her, you do not seek to treat her as a co-heir of grace, your prayers will be hindered. God is omniscient. He knows all. So yes, you can still pray, and he's sense in which he's hearing it, but he's not listening. He said, yeah, I heard you, but I'm not listening. God does not honor someone who does not honor what he honors. And what greater honor do you have than to be a son or a daughter of the living God? Uh, based on how you treat your wife, your prayers are hindered. That is like a son going to his father and wanting to speak, and the father says, I'm not going to listen to you. You don't treat your sister right. A privilege of adoption is that a son has access to his father. Another privilege of adoption is that a father disciplines his son. So any son who is in the son, upon hearing these words, should be cut to the heart. Father, I am sorry. Father, please forgive me. To which the father says, I love you. My grace is sufficient. Even for this, I love you. Now go and love your sister. So as you see through this, Peter is helping us to understand how the Lord would have us to live as husbands and wives, uh, to live as believers, how we would treat one another, <clears throat> and even indicating there's consequences to how we treat one another, and also saying the Lord is working this for a purpose, that he is drawing his elect to himself, and he is using ordinary things like transformed lives uh, to draw his elect whom he loves to himself. And so I exhort you to these things. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you remind us that all scripture is profitable. We ask that you would make these things uh, take on flesh and life in our own lives, that you would give us the grace to do what you command, and that you would also let your face to shine upon us, that we would know that we are all sons in the Son. And you as our Father have instructions for us to live, but you, you love us, and you have given us grace and peace and reconciliation in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray by the power of your Spirit. Amen.